you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 13. We'll begin there this week. John chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the first 20 verses of this chapter and this uh, event where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, and we're going to talk about what that means. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help with that. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would guide us through it. This story of you washing the feet of the disciples, that you would teach us from it, that you would help us to understand why you did it, and even why we at times are like Peter and don't want you to wash our feet, and what that means, and why we need the forgiveness that comes from the shedding of your blood. Help us to stand on that as we open your word. Teach us from it. Convict us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm fascinated with this idea of feet washing and why that was a big deal and why it would just not happen today in anybody's home. It does happen in some churches, however, uh, and we'll, we'll talk some about that maybe even after uh, this, the service. But it made me think of this act of shoeing, and this is a, a real term, to shoe somebody. In 2003, uh, the city of Baghdad fell to American troops, and you guys, some of you guys remember this. Some of you all weren't here when that happened. And this kind of the first, this is one of the first stages of the war on terrorism that our nation is still involved in to some degree. And one of the most iconic images from that was the falling down of this uh, statue of, the, of Saddam Hussein, the, the ruler of Iraq. And they, they literally pulled the statue down and it kind of came apart. And he was this horrible dictator and he ruled with uh, an iron fist and machine guns. And the people of Baghdad were now symbolically pulling power his power down. And they eventually found him and, and, and destroyed him as well. Uh, he went into hiding as you guys know, but they, they found him and hanged him for his crimes against the people of Iraq and people of the world, really. Um, but one of the most powerful things that I witnessed during this whole ordeal was the people of Baghdad, even the little kids, what they were doing is they were taking their shoes off and they were pounding the statue of Saddam Hussein, like the head, this big head of the statue. They were taking their shoes off or both their shoes and like hitting Saddam Hussein's head with their shoes. I mean, I, something I, I would just get a hammer or something. But for them, they took the shoes. And they would actually go down the streets. And, I mean, it was Saddam Hussein, so he didn't really love himself. So he had posters of himself all over the place. And they were going through the town, and they were throwing their shoes at these posters and hitting the posters with their shoes. It was a really big deal. I was like, what are they, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? Not, not an image that we see in America very regularly because we don't give much thought to our feet. A lot of times, some people give a whole lot of thought to their feet, but we, most of us don't. Uh, but in this region of the world, where it's always dusty, and it's always hot, people and people have traditionally wore sandals, even from way back and even today, the feet are probably easily, easily the dirtiest part of the body. You could even take a bath, go out, and your feet would be disgusting within minutes of going out there, even though the rest of you were clean. And so the idea of hitting someone with your shoe in this part of the world is the lowest form of insult. 
that you can give someone. Remember our former president, George Bush, was assaulted by a reporter, a Middle Eastern reporter. By He threw his shoes at him. It wasn't because that was the nearest projectile that he had. It was because throwing a shoe at a person is like an insult, a horrible insult that you can give someone. And, of course, George Bush kind of matrix-dodged them, which was incredible to see. But that's a, that's a side, side point. It's one of my favorite gifts still today. Um, but you see this idea ingrained in our culture, and in the, or not in our culture, in the culture of the Middle East, and it has been for a long time. And so in today's passage that concerns feet and them being washed, not by a slave or a servant, but by the creator of all things, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so from this act, we're going to learn of his humility, but more importantly, we're going to learn of the purpose of the cross and why it is that Jesus had to die for us. And so from this text, we'll consider three points, the humility of Jesus Christ, the arrogance of Peter, and then sharing in Christ's humility. So with that, let's read the text today, standing as we do so. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Now, the, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the feet, or the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said to him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, and when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. 
And so again, as I alluded to, feet in the Middle Eastern culture, especially in this in the ancient culture, were a dirty thing. And not to say that uh, feet are a particularly clean thing now, I'm not saying that, but there was no paved roads, no air conditioning, no socks. It's pretty bad. And so when a rabbi like Jesus, was walking the countryside teaching, his disciples would follow him around, and they would essentially care for all of his needs. They went and got his food. They went and made sure he had a place to stay. They were his, uh, hesitate to use the word servants, it seems a little strong, but they essentially did everything for him. He didn't have to find food. He didn't have to do anything. And this was the norm for a rabbi like Jesus. However, when it came to washing his feet, Say you went into someone's house and ate. You had to wash your feet or it would be a mess because your feet were pretty much real close to to the food. That was the role only reserved for non-Jewish slaves. They would do this. This is the lowest member of society. They would wash the feet of someone else. Again, an insult, a shame attached to, to them. And so... Again, another reminder of this passage, this is Passover week, and so this is likely one of the last nights that Jesus is going to be with his disciples, if not the last night. There's some controversy on the timing of this supper, not really important for our, for our text and understanding the text, but this is the last night or one of the last nights that they were together. And so remember the significance of the Passover. Jesus represents the lamb slaughtered. His blood painted on the door so that the angel of the Lord would spare the people of God. Remember that back in Exodus. And so Jesus now is the Passover lamb for the people. What does it say there in verse 1 of chapter 13? He loved them till the end. I love that. Jesus is getting ready to walk through this terrible thing, and he loves his people till the end. And he's now acknowledging that this is the end. His hour has come. He will be with his people till the end. And this foot washing event not only points to Passover and his death, but also points to another symbol prominent in Scripture, and we'll look at that. So first, the humility of Christ. So Jesus here is with his disciples, and they have just finished a meal together. Verse 2 and 3 kind of gives us an understanding of how Jesus must be feeling, and so let me read that. During supper, when the devil had already put it into his heart, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, so he rose from supper, and this is when he washes the feet. Think about how he must be feeling here. He's been walking with these men for three years, and he knows that one of them is going to betray him, that the devil has come, and that he has influenced this one, who probably wasn't with them at all, ever anyway, he, we read earlier that he was he was stealing from them that he that he that he really wasn't a part of the group anyway and so that the devil's come and influenced him and now he's going to betray Jesus the Lord of all creation for thirty pieces of silver which is crazy but now but Jesus is secure in his mission because he's from God his mission is from God he knows where he's going and so he's not afraid and. So what does he do? It says that he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Think about that for a minute. Outer garments, be like us maybe taking our suit coat off or something like that, um, and wraps a towel around his waist. What is he taking the stature of by taking all of his outer clothes off and wrapping a towel around his waist? He's taking on the garb of a slave by doing this. And what does he do? He washes their feet. And so understand and keep in mind here, this isn't just a good man, or this isn't just a good teacher. This isn't an example of something that we should do in the sense that Jesus was a good guy and we want to be good guys too. But this is our creator. This is the Lord of all things. This is the great I am. This is the one who we read last week who Isaiah said his robes filled the temple with glory. And now he has a towel wrapped around his waist, washing dirty feet. Nothing but a towel. And he has to stoop down to wash the feet of the disciples. I think we get a good picture of this in one of Paul's letters in Philippians. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Should be a familiar passage to many of you. <clears throat> and this is a passage that I keep dialed into my brain a lot of times while I'm reading through the Gospels, particularly the last few chapters of the Gospels where we, where we read about the passion of the Christ. But let's look at verses 5 through 8 of chapter 2. Again, consider what we just read. Consider this image. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others, having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Get this, taking the form of a servant, literally in this passage, that's what he did, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this picture that Paul's written for us in this letter is a very good picture for us to understand what Christ is doing here. And when it says that he uh, didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped, this isn't him giving up his deity so to speak, but you can think of it as him laying aside his dignity, as B.B. Warfield said once, and I I appreciated that quote, so that he could give up, so so that he could give the most shameful of all creatures, us, life and glory. And so consider also that Jesus was washing the feet of the one who would betray him. We've already been told that Judas was empowered by the spirit of Satan, that he was going to betray Jesus. And so Judas is sitting there while this is going on. Can you imagine what's going through his head? With lots of these emotions, likely afraid and angry at the same time. I can't even fathom. We get later that he just kind of runs out of the room. And Jesus knows this. He knows what he's about to do. 
Jesus, the one who Scripture says owns the, thou, the, the cattle on a thousand hills, owns everything, it's all his, is about to be sold out for 30 pieces of silver. And even though all this is true, Jesus is going to stoop and wash his feet. It's incredible. We really don't have a category for this type of humility. And so when we read about it in passages and passages like the one in the Philippians, that's really the only way we have of processing this kind of humility. We can't really emulate this. We're never going to be the Lord of creation, so we can't stoop down as low as Jesus did. But there's no way. We can't grasp it. We're not God. We only want to be. And so I think the best way for us to understand humility is to look at our own pride in this, which we'll get to do with Peter's interactions in just a second. And so I want us to just take a moment to make sure we understand that while humility is a great virtue and one that believers are called to have, and we'll look at that in just a second, we're definitely called to have this, and the Lord Jesus wants us to, I don't think that this passage is calling us to the kind of humility that Jesus Christ is displaying here, because we can't. We can't do this. There is a sense, again, in which we are we have to be willing to be humble and serve others, which Christ instructs us to do. However, if we stop here with this moral obligation in this passage, we're going to miss a gold mine. And I've heard this passage preached quite a few times, and the focus tends to be on what we should do and how we should do it, rather than on the Savior who is washing the feet of sinners and who washed yours and my soul clean with his blood. And so I think Peter's interaction with Jesus is actually good for us because it puts us in our place in that. So let's look at that, the arrogance of Peter. Jesus gets to Peter. Peter asks, are you going to wash my feet? And now what's, it's not kind of a, Jesus, are you done washing feet now? Are you, do, are you done washing feet now that once, once you've got to me? Why would he ask this question? He's washed this whole thing. We aren't sure what's going through his head. But whatever it is, the Lord saw fit to rebuke him. And so I could just see that Peter was thinking, maybe he didn't deserve to have his feet washed by the Lord, and that's fine too. However, think of what is at the root of that thought for just a moment. Someone who doesn't want to be served wants to do what? If you don't want to be served, what do you want to do? You want to do it yourself. That's what's at the root of that. Peter, or Jesus, don't wash my feet. I can do this on my own. One thing that I was taught early in life, that if someone wants to do something for you, you let them do it. Because they've come to this conclusion that they want to serve you, and then to deny them of that is actually a huge insult. In this country, we tend to like play this little game of, oh, you don't have to do that, okay, you don't have, you know. But in another country, if someone asks to do something for you and you like try to deny them of that service, that's like a giant insult. And so for Peter to say, no, you can't wash my feet, this is an insulting thing because it demonstrates the pride of Peter. It may be harmful to our pride 
for someone to serve us, but sometimes it's good to be served because it helps us to know how we are to serve others. And not in the sense that we've been served our whole life by our parents and think about it that way because as a parent, as much as I'd love for my kids to understand service, I do what I do for them because they're mine. I don't serve them in that sense. But when someone serves you who has no business serving you, and you guys know what I'm talking about, those times when someone does something for you where they're not obligated to do that for you, it is a truly humbling experience. And so Peter wasn't there yet. He wasn't humble. He still wanted to do this on his own. And so Jesus helps him to understand what's going on by saying, you're not going to understand now what I'm doing for you, but later, after I'm gone, you're going to understand what I've done. This is like many of the things that the Lord has did on earth. He says, later you guys will understand this, now you don't. However, Peter takes it a step further, and what does he say? Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Can you imagine that? Peter knows who Jesus is. He's not just a good man. He's not just a rabbi. He's the Lord of creation. Peter knows that. And so what is he now telling to the Lord of creation? No. Wow. No, Jesus, you're not going to do that thing which you have set out to do. The audacity to tell your creator no. Jesus had the right to just snuff him out right there, but again, gently helps Peter with this symbolism here. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You'll have no share with me. You won't be part of what is to come and the blessings that I am to give my people. If I do not wash you, what is he talking about here? There's something deeper going on here. So let's turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus is one of those fun books. It's always fun to try to find in your Bible. Because it's small. After 2 Timothy. Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 3 and read through verse 7. Because I think this is a good passage for helping us understand what the Lord Jesus is talking about by washing here. And I think it even sets us up for the way Peter was feeling by these first few words here. So let me read this, Titus 3, 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He saved us, not by anything we did, not by any work that we could do, but by washing us with his blood. And again, we shouldn't take this passage and now say that baptism saves us, 
Because what did Paul just get finished saying? That it wasn't a work that saves us. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. However, it is what baptism symbolizes that saves us. The washing of regeneration, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on us, the renewal that comes after that through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are brought from death into life. And so when Jesus is saying, Peter, if you don't partake in this cleansing that can only be done by my blood, you can't be saved. That's what he's saying here. What does Hebrews 9.22 say? There is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And the blood of Christ is what every single Old Testament sacrifice pointed to. If you want to learn more about that, read Hebrews 9. I thought about going through that, but I opened it and it was just vast. We can't go through that this morning unless we want to be here until this, this evening. And so I encourage you to read that in your own study this week, Hebrews chapter 9, talking about the blood of the Old Testament sacrifices pointing to Christ and his efficacy and the cleansing that he brings us. So Peter, realizing this, what does he do? He changes his tune really quickly here. Not only my feet, but my whole body. Whatever it takes, Lord, do that for me. Now, I think oftentimes as I've looked at this passage, I've been real quick to judge Peter, as I'm real quick to judge others who do something wrong because I think that my morality is what saves me. But we shouldn't do that. Because any time we take for granted the grace of God and attempt to earn salvation in any way, we share in his sin here. This could even appear to be pious in nature. We sometimes want others to see how humble we are. We'll play the false humility game. You guys know what I'm talking about. Hoping that people will notice how good we are. Why? Because we think that being good is what saves us. We think that our goodness is what is really attractive about us instead of the righteousness of Christ. Remember what Jesus said of the Pharisees who wanted others to see how good they were. What did he say about their, their goodness? They have received their reward in full. Can you imagine being told that here on earth, that you have received your reward in full? Here it is, this earth. That would be the worst punishment you could imagine. But that's not it. And so it's our righteousness, our, the righteousness of Christ that saves us, that he looks to, not our own righteousness. No, Jesus, you won't wash my feet. We don't say that, but I mean, those other guys needed their feet washed, but not me. I'm too good. Can you imagine Peter just sitting there watching the feet of his friends be washed and, him, and Jesus come to him and be like, Nope, not me. You can skip over me. Incredible. But we say the same things. I can't believe how awful people are. They just need to come to church like me. They need to do nice things like me. They need to be like me because I'm a good guy. We don't actually say that. We just think that. And we're just like Peter when we do that. No, what do they need? They don't need to go to church. They don't need to be better people. They need Jesus Christ, the same one that saved you while you were dead in your trespasses, that washed you with his blood, 
even when you had eyes on his throne, even when you were the one who was going to betray him for less than 30 pieces of silver, he washed you and made your sins whiter than snow. Brothers and sisters, we need humility in that we need to share in the humiliation of Christ in this sense. We need to be willing to be cleansed and know that we need to be cleansed. And unless we take part in his death, meaning unless we receive this, we can't take part in his exaltation. We can't take part in his glory. We can't be with him for all eternity unless we acknowledge the fact that he become lower he became lower than a slave so that you and I might reign in glory with him. And it's a humbling thing. And it has nothing to do with our own virtue, our own humility, but his. He is the star of redemption, and we are his beneficiaries. And if we can do anything to gain that, if we can do anything at all to gain that, then we somehow get some of his glory, which leads to us doing whatever it takes to keep it, right? Which leads to rampant legalism and destruction. If we can hold on to a little bit of glory by doing something good, then we will do whatever it takes to keep it. And that just destroys everybody. But if Jesus Christ is the only good about us, then humility is a really easy thing. It's just the last point. Sharing in his humility. Sharing in the humiliation of Christ involves a complete letting go of all that might bring us glory. It is a recognition that Christ alone is where we derive our value from. We are stripped of any value of our own, any value that we might derive from our own morality, from our own good works, even from our own humility. And when we reach this state, that is when we are best able to serve others, even our own enemies. What did Jesus do here? Did he serve his enemies? Think about that for a second. Who wasn't an enemy before he gave his life for them? We stood, we stood condemned, and we were his enemies until he saved us. So he's only ever good to his enemies in that sense, in the redemptive sense. So what right do we have then as Christians, as people of God, to pick and choose who will serve and who will give grace to. That doesn't mean that we'll go looking for trouble. I'm not saying that necessarily. But there are many times in our lives when we have the opportunity to serve others and we choose not to because of what we think about a person that we are serving. Remember, Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer the one who would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, the Lord of glory, sold out for money. If he's going to do that, what right do we have to, to deny service and love to anyone? And so it goes without saying that we exercise this type of service with it for one another in the church, obviously. If we're going to do that for the lost, we need to do that for one another. And I think for our small group here, we've grown fond of one another, and it comes very easy for us to love and serve one another, and I think that's really good. However, we have to consider that when someone walks through the door, 
that we have to offer up to them the same kind of love and kindness that we give to one another. That's a picture of the church. They'll see the love that we have for one another, and they'll want that. If they're a believer, they're going to want to be a part of this community. If they're an unbeliever, they're going to want Jesus Christ through the love that we have for one another. He's going to say that in a couple of, uh, probably a couple of weeks when I preach on that particular passage. He's going to say that. They're going to want him because of the love that we have for one another. Family is a very special thing, and we eventually, and, and you guys know this, you eventually come to realize that family isn't just a genetic thing. And that in Christ we have this special family with one another. So let us be open then to bring one another's into, others into this family. We should want nothing, nothing more than to find those sheep who are also his, that Jesus said are out there and bring them into the fold. And so then in conclusion, in the coming weeks we're going to get more into this idea of, of love that we should display for the lost and for one another. However, I think we see a very good example from our Lord here took the dirtiest part of their physical bodies and he washed it. Something normally reserved for a slave, but our Lord Jesus did it for his disciples. And he did that for us too. He took our ragged and our dead souls and he breathed life into them, causing us to call upon his name, to follow after him. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, Call upon his name now. Be saved today. But for the believer, this is a call for us to consider our own cleansing. That time that Jesus washed us and made us whiter than snow, that was represented in our baptism. And so every baptism that we see until we go home reminds us of what the Lord Jesus did for us. You know, we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper every week. But baptism isn't something that we get to see all the time. And so when we see a baptism, it should remind us of our own baptism. That, that was represented as our own sins being cleansed. Not that baptism in itself did that. That's just water, really. But it symbolizes when Jesus did that for us. And so we look upon that sign. We look upon that seal of what the Lord did and is doing. For us, and then we take that act of service that the Lord gave to us, and we turn it into, and we turn it over to serve others, growing His kingdom through acts of love and preaching the gospel. So let us go do that. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. Help us with this, because we look at our enemies and we run away from them. We don't want to serve them. We want to serve people like us because we think we are the best thing out there. But Lord Jesus, you are. Help us to see that we were once enemies of the cross and help us to understand that we should serve everyone. Those who you call your own in the church and the lost that they might know who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.